Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, choir. If you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62 this morning. And today, the title of today's sermon is called The Cost of Following Christ. The Cost to Following Christ. Endurance, by the way, is a quality that God expects in all of his followers. Years ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and I decided to visit the IKEA store, a Swedish-made furniture company. You can buy all their stuff online. It's great stuff. Um, And uh, you mind turning down the volume on that, James? In the very back of the store, you've got this... uh, this little contraption. It's called the durability test. It's a glass box. Inside the glass box, they have a a chair that sits in there. And what this simulates is basically 10 times a day of sitting down and getting up, sitting down and getting up in your chair over 10 years. And the idea here behind this durability test is that the chair looks exactly the way it's supposed to look even after 10 years of abuse and use, right? I was on the internet the other day and, and found a, a, a photo, and it says, this is the real IKEA durability test. Do you have that photograph? It's, um, let's see, come on. Get it, there it is. That's the real <laughs> IKEA durability test. I need to get a dog in there, and let's see how, that, how it lasts after that. Well, uh, the believer for the Lord is also meant to have some durability Uh, The believer is supposed to be able to persevere. After all, even Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course and I have kept the faith. This idea, by the way, of keeping the faith is very closely linked to this idea of fighting. That we have to fight. Following Christ was never meant to be easy. There's always a, a cost to following Jesus by the way, any, any preacher, any pastor that says otherwise, I'll be honest with you, is lying to you. <laughs> they are lying to you. We have to endure. We have to engage. We have to know that trials and tests and hardship and dark times and deep waters, that they will come and wash over us. Friends, let me tell you, living out this Christian faith is not an easy thing to do, but it's worth it. It's worth it. There is a reward If you want to, you can fill in these blanks for me this morning. Following Christ is not for the faint of heart, but it is fruitful to the faithful. Following Christ is not for the faint of heart. It is not easy. It's going to be difficult. You're going to make mistakes along the way. I'm going to make mistakes along the way. We're doing the best we can, obviously, to glorify Christ Jesus. But at the same time, we will have hardship and persecution that will come upon us. But even more so than just hardship and persecution, just the trials of everyday living in a fallen world are going to come. Just living in this fallen world is difficult enough, but we're going to have difficulties. This morning, we're going to be wrapping up Luke chapter 9. We've been in this chapter for the better part of two months. We've seen miracles There have been unbelievable things seen by the disciples. The disciples have been partners to helping Jesus spread the good news of the gospel. 
telling that the kingdom of God is near. And they've even been able to perform miracles themselves. Luke chapter 9, I believe, is a turning point, by the way, for Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is preparing them for the trials that are to come and the hardships that they will have to endure. It's all been sort of fun up until now, but the hard work is coming. I think we all know the story of Easter, the crowds that are once cheering for Christ are now going to pull against him. The crowds that were once hailing him as Hosanna are now going to be speaking and crying out for him to be crucified. His message, the one that they've accepted, is now going to be rejected. Cities will run Jesus out of town, which we've already seen in Samaria. People are going to pick up stones to kill him. People will begin to hate him, and eventually they're going to call for him to die. And by the way, the disciples did not see this coming. The disciples did not see this coming. And Jesus is going to educate the disciples here in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. He's going to educate the disciples on the cost of following him. Disciples thought they would receive fame, and instead Jesus tells them, you're going to receive famine. They thought that they would receive power, and sadly, the disciples were going to receive persecution. They thought that they would receive glory, but instead they were gifted with pain and suffering. Basically, if in the Stuart Davidson translation of the Bible, Jesus is saying, get ready, boys. Following me is going to be tough. This is essentially Jesus' message to the disciples, and it's our message today. Get ready, because when you truly follow me, you are going to have a difficult life. It's going to be hard. So the context of today's passage is really a journey. It's a, it's a journey with Jesus. He's making this journey towards Jerusalem. If you remember last week, Jesus was walking towards Samaria. Samaria didn't want Jesus. And so now Jesus has his eyes firmly fixed on going to Jerusalem. And as he's walking along, people are starting to come up to Jesus saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Even as he teaches more and more about discipleship, earlier, if you remember, Jesus tells him, tells these followers, he says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily. You've got to take it up daily. You've got to take this instrument of death upon your shoulders to follow me. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at three people, three people that curiously come up to Christ, not understanding the cost of following Jesus, and yet they say, Jesus, we want to be a part of the team. And through, this, through these three encounters, he teaches us what it really means to be a disciple. So this morning, again, if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And it says this, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts the hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, these verses, if you just take them as you read them, are a little confusing 
It's a little hard to understand exactly what Jesus is getting at after all. If these statements that he's making seem on their, on their face very difficult to fully comprehend and understand. So this morning I want to kind of give you three examples of what Jesus is actually trying to say. If you want to, Roman numeral one, letter A, following Christ means that we must give up our comfort. Following Christ means that we must give up our comfort. Jesus, uh, this man says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies back, not even foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, instead of Jesus encouraging and working to make more disciples, in fact, it honestly, on surface, it seems that he's actually discouraging and dissuading people from following his movement. Here was this man, a nameless man, all passionate. He's on fire for the Lord, responding to the call of discipleship, saying, hey, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. By the way, now, what church, what pastor would not want someone like that? Uh, uh, somebody to walk in the door and say, preacher, wherever you go, I'm going, man. I'm going to follow you. I want to be a part of this church. I'm going to join it. I'm going to serve. I mean, what pastor would not want that? Even without Jesus initiating, he comes to Jesus and says, me, Lord, it's almost like that excitable kid in the classroom. He's raising his hands, ooh, 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 me, 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 ooh, right? He's ready. But Jesus knew this man's heart, and in this instance, it was his comfort zones that needed to be expanded. Instead of welcoming this man to his band of disciples, Jesus said, as I've said before, the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, Jesus was not going to the Jerusalem Hilton. He wasn't jetting around in his own private jet. He wasn't drawing a, a huge income. He didn't have a massive budget. He didn't have cars. He didn't have a fancy ministry. He did not have a large following. He was literally preparing himself, heading towards Jerusalem, looking at the beating that he was going to take, thinking about the cross that he would have to endure and the nails that were going to go in his hands. He was weighing upon his own shoulders the sin and the shame and the wrath that he was going to have to carry and he would eventually die a very cruel death on the cross. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, we see that he had absolutely no earthly security at all. By the way, which most of us spend a great deal of time worrying about our earthly security, don't we? Even I do. I have to be secure. I have to protect my children. I have to protect my wife. I've got to protect my financial resources. I've got to make sure that, that everything is just so. We worry so much about our own security. And yet Jesus was born in a barn, and he was literally persecuted from the day he first took air into his lungs. Herod tried to kill him the moment that he heard anything about Jesus Christ. Jesus had no earthly security he rode into Jerusalem on a, a donkey. He lived a poor carpenter's mason's life. He wasn't even buried in his own tomb, for heaven's sakes. He was, born in, he was buried in somebody else's place. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my, in one of my favorite books, by the way, which is The Cost of Discipleship. By the way, not an easy read. Not an easy read. But nevertheless, a great book. He said this, he said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Martin Luther, 
He was the Protestant Reformation author. He, he said this, a religion that gives nothing costs nothing and it suffers nothing. It, it is not worth anything. And Jesus is challenging our comfort zones because being his disciples will involve costly sacrifice. So the application for this point in particular is what are the areas of our life where Jesus might be challenging us to step out of our comfort zones? What things do we hold on to or what things are we pursuing that give us a sense of security? By the way, notice I said a sense of security. None of us in this room are actually secure. Security is a, uh, it's a veil. It's not real. But what do we hold on to? Perhaps for some, it's our careers. Our careers make us feel secure. Our homes, our lifestyles, our bank accounts, our retirement fund, our yearly holidays, our possessions. For some, it could also be uh, the safety of our country, the clean air and the water that we breathe, uh, our holidays, our vacations, our possessions. For some, it could be our language. We don't want to get out of comfort zone because they don't speak what we speak, the culture or the food that we eat. Jesus isn't saying that in order to follow him, we need to be forsaking everything, by the way. That's not what he's saying. But I've learned that in whatever circumstances and with whatever God has blessed us with, that we have to come before him with open hands, understanding that everything God has given to us, we don't own it is not ours. It is not mine and it is not yours. It all belongs to the Lord. And we have to come to the Lord saying, Lord, even though these things make me feel good, I am willing to give them back to you because after all, they don't really belong to me. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Paul's words said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will what? Be persecuted. Be persecuted. So following Christ means we have to give up our comfort, but it also means we have to give up our commitments. We have to give up our commitments. Again, in verses 59 and 60, Jesus actually looks at someone and says, follow me. Can you imagine getting that invitation from Jesus? Jesus looks at this man and says, follow me. But this man said, first let me go and bury my father. This time Jesus initiates that call and the man's reply is, first, let me, go, let me go take care of dad. Now on the surface, this seems, by the way, like a very legitimate reason to delay following Christ. For taking care of your parents, by the way, in Jewish culture is one of the, the greatest things that we can do, honoring your father and mother. So is Jesus, is he presenting a, a contradictive statement in the New Testament, contradicting the Old Testament law of honoring and your father and mother? Of course he's not. He's not calling us to dishonor our duties as a Jew or as a, a law-abiding citizen or as just a loving child. But what he is saying is that if we're going to follow him, then all the claims of the kingdom come before anything and anyone else. The kingdom of God is more important than anything and anyone else. Christ comes first. And indeed, we have lost, many people have lost family members. Many people have lost their homes because of their pursuit of Christ. I'll never forget that I had this one experience in Paris, France. 
was sitting down having lunch with an Algerian man. I believe Kevin and Bryant were there. And this Algerian man who was born Muslim, he was talking to us about his experience and his conversion of Christ. And he said that, that Jesus came to him in a vision at night. And Jesus spoke to him and he called him out of this dead and deceitful religion that he was in. And he embraced Christ. He, he found a Bible and he embraced Christ. He read and realized that this man who came to me in my dreams and came to me as a vision, he's the one, the one in the Bible. This is what, who, I'm, who I've been reading about. And so this man converts to Christianity and in doing so, his family disowns him. He's dead to them. He gave up his home, he gave up his family, he gave up his security all because of Jesus. Everything about the kingdom and everything about Jesus has far more value than anything that we have for us here in this world. When Jesus says, let the de dead bury their dead, it's actually a bit of a play on words, meaning that he's saying, let the spiritually dead people bury their physically dead people. He's saying, however, you, you are spiritually alive, therefore you are without excuse. You should be pursuing the kingdom. Jesus, in the statement, he, he changes the man's commitments because being his disciple involves absolute surrender. A long time ago, I heard kind of a funny joke, a, an illustration. It was, between a, it was a conversation that takes place between a hen and a hog. They were passing the church door, walking together, and they observed the subject of the pastor's sermon. And the pastor's sermon was entitled, How Can We Help the Poor? A noble pursuit, by the way. And so the chicken and the hog, the hen and the hog, they, they decided, you know, we feel really convicted uh, over the fact that we're not doing enough to help the poor. And so the, the hen looks at the hogs and said, I know what we can do. And the hog said, what's that? And he said, what we can do is we can make them breakfast. And the hog said, what's on the menu? And the hen said, well, what we'll do is we'll give them, we'll give them uh, chicken and ham, chicken and bacon. And the hog looked back at the chicken and said, well, you know, that's a contribution for me. That's a total commitment for me, a, a contribution for you and a total commitment for me. And see, that's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for just a contribution. He's looking for the total commitment. For some, as long as I'm coming to the church faithfully and tithing regularly, maybe once in a while I'll, I'll help out at an event. I've done my Christian service. I've done my Christian duty. Don't come to disturb me. Anything more than that, please just let the full-time ministers do that. After all, I've heard this before, they get paid to do that. They get paid to do that. You see, the commitments themselves are not wrong, but when we start to use our commitments as excuses, that's when God speaks. And when we delay or when we even disobey the Lord, and especially when we know his clear leading and his calling on our life, we enter into an agreement not with the Lord, but we enter an agreement with sin itself. Jesus is challenging our commitments because he wants his disciples to be absolutely committed to the call of the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 4, 
or excuse me, 14, verse 35 and 36 says this, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Not what I will, but what you will. That's, of course, the story of Jesus in the garden, saying, Lord, whatever I need to do, I lay down my desires for the furtherance of your kingdom. Jesus lays down his own life. Again, Roman number one, following Christ means giving up our comfort. It means giving up our commitments. But thirdly, it also means giving up all of our conditions. All of our conditions are gone. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, but first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. By the way, it's not unusual for people to desire to, to look backwards and say, but let me say goodbye. After all, this was even afforded to the prophet Elisha in the Old Testament. Elisha was allowed to say bye to his homeland before he went out and was doing the work of the Lord. Yet Jesus here is removing the preconceived notion that anything is more important than following him. Nothing is more important than following Christ. Excuses, the great but, or if only, right? If only, or, well, Lord, but, right? Okay, Lord, I'll obey you, but I will do you what you want if, if only time and time again we read in the Gospels where Jesus calls the, the 12 disciples, they drop their nets, and they followed him. Without question, they immediately left everything that they knew, all the security they had, everything that they loved, and they said, Jesus, you are better than them all. If we get you, then this is a great trade. We will leave everything. Leave everything. Brothers and sisters, when God speaks, when God reveals his will to us, when God calls us, what are the conditions? What are the buts that we give to God? What are the only, if onlys we give to him? Okay, Lord, I, I will follow you. I will obey you. But first, let me gain some experience in the working world. Lord, I'll follow you. But first, let me get a little bit older. Let me get out of the youth group before I follow you. Lord, listen, I will follow you, but let me get out of college first. Lord, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll give you my time and my energy and my resources, but, but you know, I'm almost 65. Let me get retired first, and then I will seek you. Where does our allegiance ultimately lie? who is supreme in our lives and in our hearts. Not only that, are we steadfast in our allegiance to him, forgetting what is behind and pressing on. For Jesus, it was fixing his eyes on the cross of Jerusalem, but for us, it may be fixing our eyes on Jesus himself. Jesus, by the way, is the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him did what? He endured the cross. Everyone has an excuse. Everybody has an excuse not to follow Jesus. Everybody does. Sadly, their excuse gets them thrown out of the party. If you remember in Luke chapter 15, or excuse me, Luke chapter 14, verse 15 through 24, do you remember the story of the man who was throwing a party? 
And he tells his servant to go out in the streets and to invite all of his wealthy friends. And he says, listen, I want you to go invite all these people. And I want you to tell them we are going to be throwing the biggest bash ever. And so the, the servant goes out. And he begins to tell people, hey, listen, the master, he's throwing a party. He wants you to come. He wants you to join in on the celebration. He wants you to be a part of the feast. But in every single instance, there's always an excuse as to why this man's friend can't come. Well, I'm pretty busy that day. Kids got stuff going on. Can't make it. Sorry, I'd love to come. Uh, but this is my RSVP. I can't, I can't arrive. And so then... The servant comes back to the master and he says, Master, I'm really sorry. I, I went out and told everybody that you were having this wonderful party, but nobody wants to come. And then the master says, well, then go into the streets and invite all the poor people you can find. Anybody that's on the streets, we want them to be a part of this great celebration. And so, they, so he does. And then all of a sudden, the, this master's home is filled with all these people and they're all enjoying the feast. Listen to what he says in verse 23. And the master said to the servant, Go out of the highways and the hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. All these people that had great excuses for not following, for not being a part of the banquet, were all left outside. I pray that we will leave our excuses at the door and that we will long to follow Christ, that his kingdom and he himself is greater than anything else that we have in our world. You can fill on this blank right here. What you gain is far more than what you give up. What you gain is far more than what you give up. Again, in our humanness and in our culture, when you start telling people, hey, you've got to give up your comfort. Okay, you got to leave all those things behind. You got to leave the things that make you feel good about yourself. You've got to leave those things behind. Uh, all your commitments, they've all got to go out the window for following Christ. All your excuses are gone. When you bring people into this idea of following Christ, they all seem very negative. They seem very hard to understand. And why would anybody pursue that if this is what I've got to give up? The reason why you're pursuing that is because what you're gaining is far more than what you're losing. What you're gaining is far greater than what you are giving up. So I wanted to talk to you a couple things in Roman numeral 2 about following Christ means gaining something. It means gaining God's companionship. Gaining God's companionship. We need to remember that when we sacrifice for Jesus, it's not for nothing. It's not for nothing. We receive tremendous rewards for our perseverance. The first thing that we gain, the first reward is God's presence in our lives. God is going to be present with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. There will never be a moment when he's not surrounding us, loving us, protecting us, providing for us. He will always be there. This means that even in our darkest moment, God is present. He is aware of our pain. He's aware of our discomfort. And he will never, ever forget about us. Not only that, but he's working things out for the good of those who love him and who are, who are called according to his purpose. This means that God is doing good things with his presence. Good things take place. Sure, you're going to have a bad day. 
Even if you know the Lord, you're going to have a bad day. I've had bad days. But even in the bad days, God works those things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He brings good from bad. When we obey God and persevere through trials, one reward is that God is there. He's holding our hands. He's carrying our burdens. We can talk with him. We can sing with him. And he'll count him as a friend. Isn't it wonderful to know that the maker of the universe doesn't just know us, but he also cares for us and wants to be our friend. This is an amazing truth. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. It's the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Not only do we have the Lord's companionship, which is great and in and of itself would be enough, but we also have the Lord's compassion. We also have the Lord's compassion. Another good bit of news today is the compassion that we find when we follow Christ. You see, there are people who believe that there is a divine creator, but that divine creator is far off and removed from human existence. There are others who believe that there is a God, but he doesn't really care about humanity. Some believe that God is like a watchmaker and he, he, he set this watch in place, he wound it up and sort of set, sit on a, on a pedestal and just doesn't do anything with it ever again. And yet the Bible, the God of the Bible is very concerned with the outcome of human history. So much so that he intervened on a human level. And he's constantly intervening uh, consistently in, in my life and in your life with an unfailing love, an unfathomable love the compassion that he gives to us. I can't count the times. I cannot count the times. I've done stupid things in my life. Stupid, stupid things. Grievous errors. And yet God was still there, making good from my bad choices and my bad decisions. I, I, I can't count how many times looking back over my life where I thought, how in the world did I physically survive that event? Especially when I was about 16 years old. I mean, honestly, Lord, how in the world did I survive that? There is only one way for that to happen, and it had to have been you. How many of you have a little age on you now? It's hard for our younger people to, to, to get here yet. But how many of you have a little age and you can look back and, and you didn't see God working in your life at that time? You didn't know what God was doing. The things that were taking place in your life didn't really make a lot of sense. But yet now looking back on it, you think, or, or you can so clearly see God architecting things in your life to put you where you are today. How many of you? Raise your hand. Right? Is that not greater than anything you'd give up for the Lord? That one experience, knowing that the Lord is not only present with you, but he's working things out for your good, even the bad things. He's working those out too. What an awesome reward that is for following Christ. And worthy in of itself, 
of following him. The Lord is compassionate. Friend, let me tell you, God did not put you on this earth to watch you suffer. He did not put you on earth to watch you suffer. I don't believe that. I don't see that reflected in the Bible. Will you have times of struggle, times of suffering? Sure. But I don't believe that God is some petulant child who puts a creation down on the earth just to kick it and watch it scream. I don't believe that's the way God works. There may be times when we have to walk through hard times, but God is compassionate. He cares. He knows your name, and he wants to have a relationship with you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul tells us, In him we have the redemption through his Jesus' death. It made peace between God and humanity. Our sin had separated us from God, and there was the penalty of death hanging over our heads. Jesus took that penalty for us, so now we can enter into the throne room of God with grace and confidence. Following Jesus means that we leave behind all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our past flaws and failures. They are gone in God. No more do we carry that weight around When Jesus died on that cross, it demonstrated just how much God truly loved us. When we follow Christ, we have a direct connection to God. And what a glorious and mysterious connection it is. Because we have a relationship with God when you follow Christ, when you say, Lord, I am going to put you above everything else in my life. We have this connection and prayer that we can talk to the Most High God. And that even better than that, that the Most High God can now talk to us, speak to us directly through His Word. What an amazing gift. So remember, whatever we give up for Christ is small potatoes in comparison of what we actually gain. What a phenomenal trade. In Titus 3, verse 5, it says, he, lo- he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing, the regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite authors is a gentleman by the name of David Platt. Many of you have probably read some of his books. He's a pastor now, a teaching pastor in Virginia. The formerly... Oh. There you go. Thank you. Oh. Can you pause that, Barb? Let me know. It's still going. It's still going, Barb. Barb. Yeah. Ah, very good. Okay. Uh, he's the great author, uh, and he was the former leader of the president of the International Mission Board as well. But Dr. Platt talks about what we gain and about what we lose when we follow Christ and that the cost of following Christ is always worth it. It's always a worthy pursuit to follow him. Now hit play. I think about two families that we just sent out last month. One moving to the heart of the Middle East, the other to the heart of Central Asia, both among extremely difficult, dangerous to reach people groups. And one of these husbands tells our church, some of you think that we are being reckless and he's sitting there with his wife, his two young kids going into the heart of Muslim Middle East. He said, some of you think we are, 
are being reckless. And he looked at our church and he said, I think we're in far greater danger of being safe than we are reckless in contemporary Christianity. And I agree wholeheartedly. Followers of Christ, we do not bow at the altar of safety in this world. We die to self. We die to sin. We risk our lives in obedience. This is what it means to follow him. To follow Jesus is to hold loosely to the things of this world. Comfort, careers, possessions, position, family, friends, safety, ourselves. To cling tightly to the person of Christ and the mission of his kingdom. Now that's, it may sound extreme to some, but don't forget who the me is here. To leave behind, lay down, abandon everything in your life doesn't make sense until you realize who Jesus is. But when you realize who he is, when you realize who Christ the King is, leaving behind, laying down, abandoning everything in our lives is the only thing that makes sense. Right? This is Matthew 13, 44. Just tells a story, man walking in a field, stumbles upon a treasure that nobody else knows is there, and this guy knows this treasure Hidden in a field is worth more than everything I've got put together. So what does he do? He goes, covers back up, goes, he sells everything he has. The text says with gladness he sells everything he has. People come up to him and say, you're crazy, what are you doing? Selling everything you have. He says, I'm going to buy that field over there. And say, you're going to buy that field? You're nuts. And he smiles, he says, I've got a hunch. (laughs) He smiles, he's doing this with gladness, he's... Abandoning everything with gladness. Why? Why is he smiling? Because he knows he's found something that's worth losing everything for. Brothers and sisters, we have found in this king someone who is worth losing everything for. Amen. 